Good morning, Willow Park Church family. I hope you are keeping warm throughout this week. Uh, this week has reminded me of my Saskatchewan days, waking up, turning on my vehicle, and just hearing that, and then boom, it firing up, and that sense of relief happening. And so I hope you've been, you're probably enjoying staying at home and maybe cuddling up uh, with a blanket and a cup of coffee as we have church this morning. And so... We are continuing our series in Daniel, and Pastor Phil will be uh, bringing the message. But you know what? In the midst of the second wave, I've been chatting with a lot of people who have just been experiencing that, just a bit more down uh, as the second wave has come. I mean, it's, it's February, it's cold. Um, we had, you know, that sense of opening up a bit ago for like three, four months, and then you know, the second wave has come and the shutdown has happened again. And I've been reading this verse every day to help me uh, encourage myself through Christ. Uh, you know that he's with me and he's strengthening me. And I want to share that verse with you today. It's found in Isaiah 41, verse 10. And it says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. This has been a verse that has just been helping me each and every day. That Christ, that God, he is with me. He's right there beside me. When I feel dismayed, when I feel burdened, when I feel distracted, when I feel hopeless, he's right there. His righteous hand holding me up. When I feel weak, when I feel tired, when I maybe even feel just down, his righteous hand is there keeping me up. So I pray today, as you are, maybe you're feeling these, this dismayed, you're feeling a bit weak, that know that God, that Christ, he's right there holding you up with his righteous hand. And so we're going to enter in worship together. Before we do that, I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we can gather today online, cozy in our homes, in the midst of winter, and Lord, that we can worship you. Lord, we recognize that you are the king, Lord, that you are the one who upholds us. You are the one who strengthens us. You are the one who gives us hope. You are the one who gives us peace. You are the one who is there when we feel just dismayed and distracted. We recognize your hand upon us. And so we worship you because you are our strength. We worship you because you are our king. We worship you because you give us life and you give it to us abundantly. And so we thank you for you, Jesus. And we worship you today. Amen. Welcome, Willow Park Church. So glad that you joined us today. We're going to start by singing God of our salvation. It's good to remind ourselves that God is our salvation. He is the one who helps us through these really difficult, challenging times.
victory because of you, because of your death and then your resurrection on the cross, so that even when we're faced with really hard times, even when we're tired and weary, we can come to you and you say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, I pray that even as we have this time together now, that you would give us rest in our souls, that it would be like that beautiful Psalm 23, you make us lie down in green pastures and beside still waters and you restore our soul. Lord, we want to build our life upon you because you are worthy to have our full devotion, our full attention.
be that my vision, O Lord of my heart. Show me who you are. Fill me with your heart. Lead me in your love to those around me. Be that my vision. Be that my wisdom. That's our prayer. 
that regardless of what happens day to day, whatever befalls, that you will be our wisdom, you will be our vision, you will always be first. You will lead us in your love to all those who are around about us. God, help us to consider others this week, that we would think about how we could reach out, how we can encourage, how we can help and lift up for your namesake, for your glory, because this is your will for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Sarah, for leading us in worship. What a wonderful song, Be Thou My Vision, uh, which leads perfectly right into our communion uh, as we begin to focus on Christ uh, again, you know, as we partake together in communion. Uh, I just want to take a moment. You can go and gather your elements, and I just want to share some quick thoughts on communion before we partake together. This week I've been reading through the BCMB Confession of Faith, and I reached the Lord's Supper and as I read through it, there was three things that they really emphasized, and they they, stuck out, uh, they stood out to me. And the one was the purpose, the power, and the promise of the Lord's Supper. And it's amazing to remember these things as we enter in. The purpose, right? Remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross, why he needed to come. You know, as we remember, it's a huge thing about, uh, in regards to our faith, remembering what Christ has done for us. My wife, she journals daily, and you know, then she'll go back and look on her journal from the past year, and she can see you know, the promises the Lord uh, has spoken to her. And maybe some of those have been fulfilled, maybe they're not, but it's a reminder that you know, He has fulfilled as she looks towards those things that you know, she's waiting for Him to fulfill. We're constantly being, we need to be people who remember, remembering what he's done, remembering his goodness, remembering those monumental moments, remember those things that, you know, he showed up in a mighty way, remembering what he's done for us. And this is the purpose of the Lord's Supper, remembering what Jesus did. Then there's the power, and we see the Christ's power on the cross. He went to the cross for us, and he didn't stay on the cross they thought they defeated him. They thought they had killed him, but no. He came back and rose again and defeated sin. So now there is life, not death. We experience it through the covering of his blood. The power of Jesus' death and resurrection, right? It defeats sin. There's so much power in the Lord's Supper, remembering what Jesus came to do for us. And then there's this promise. And not just one promise, but two. There's a promise that as we accept him, as we say yes to Jesus, I follow you, I recognize that I'm a sinner, that we experience salvation. He now lives and resides in us. But the second promise is that he's coming back again. There's going to be another time where we can actually commune with Jesus in a different way. So we're reminded that this is just for a moment until he comes back and we have this celebration with him again. And so let's partake in this together, remembering the purpose, remembering the power, remembering the promise that the, as we do, as we partake in the Lord's Supper, remembering those things and the power of it. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, 
24. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake this body together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the power of the cross. We thank you for the purpose, and we thank you for the promise. Lord, we remember these things as we partake in communion together. The early disciples, they did this daily, Lord, because they knew that they constantly needed to be reminded of the cross, reminded of what you did for us. And Lord, let that be our practice, remembering each day what you've done for us, remembering why we are here, remembering the promises of salvation. Oh, we don't want to be forgetful people. We don't want to be lost, visionless. Lord, we want to keep our eyes focused on you, remembering your goodness, remembering your purpose, remembering your power, remembering why you came for us. Lord, let us not forget that we are your sons and daughters, that we have purpose through you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Now, we're going to take it up, give it to Courtney as she's going to lead us in our family news. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. First off, happy Valentine's Day and welcome to Church Online. Here is your family news. We have some awesome news. Our midweek youth programs are starting up again this week. Grade 9 to 12 will attend on Wednesdays and grade 6 to 8 will attend on Thursdays. Please note that the times for youth have changed and will be split up into two grade groups each night. Pre-registration is required and you can learn more and sign up at cahoots.ca. Our kids team is hosting two drive-in movie nights on February 26th and 27th. Invite your neighbors and friends and reserve your spot at willowparkchurch.com movie. We are currently looking for two more elders to join the Willow Park Church board. We are now accepting nominations and would like to invite you to prayerfully consider who you think would be a good fit to join the leadership of our church. To learn more and to nominate someone to be considered for eldership, visit willowparkchurch.com elder. Kids Camp is happening in person the first week of spring break, March 15th to 19th, for kids age 4 to grade 5. Space is extremely limited, so register today at willowparkchurch.com slash kidscamp. We are also looking for a bunch of volunteers to be small group and station leaders. If you'd like to volunteer, please sign up online as well. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Good morning, South.
us today in spirit and that you're watching this. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm the ministry assistant at the church and at the South, and I was actually just drumming. I just ran over here, got changed, put my contacts in, and, uh, and now I get to preach, and I'm so excited about it. Um, we've been working our way through Daniel, and we've been asking the question, how do we thrive in a post-Christian culture that is seeking to draw us away from our faith everywhere? How do we thrive in this culture that is so different from, from what God calls us to and so different from what Christianity calls us to? So we've looked at how the Babylonian culture is similar to ours in that they worshipped idols, that they're in pursuit of the good life, that they don't actually see God as relevant, and they, don't, they just disregard God. That's our culture, and that's the Babylonian culture that we read about in Daniel. And so how can we live in this culture but not be changed by the culture? And we've seen and looked at Daniel and his friends and seen their incredible courage and their boldness in the face of death, in the face of uh, the furnace and the fire. They didn't want to bow down to the idol of, of Babylonian culture because they wanted to trust God and follow God and believe him, that he was better than those things and that he was right and that, that, that disregarding him and rejecting him is wrong. They had incredible courage. They trusted in him to provide for them, to provide for them as they lived their lives differently, as they only ate vegetables, and they, dis- they turned down the way that uh, the Babylonians ate. They turned it down because they trusted that God would provide for them and deliver them. Their belief that God saves, that God is relevant, that God is necessary. And so we've been looking at, uh, at Babylon, and, and this week we're focusing in on one of the most challenging aspects of our current culture. And we'll see this in Daniel 4. So if you want to open up Daniel 4, we'll start working our way through it. And I'm just going to pray before we really get started. Um, Heavenly Father, I come before you and and Holy Spirit, I just ask that you, would, that you would fill me, fill me with courage, with boldness to speak your word and your truth. I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would show us Jesus, that you'd show us who you are through your word. God, and would you use my words as well? Lord, we need you, and I need you. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you guys ever had a dream where you wake up and it's just like, I, everything is different and you wake up and your heart's beating so fast? I hate having dreams because that's always how I feel. But this is how, this is what Daniel 4 is about. Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that he wakes up from and he just feels awful. But it's more than just a terrible dream. It's something that God is actually speaking to him. That God used a dream to speak to him and get to his heart about something. It's about the purpose and the meaning behind this dream and what we can learn from it. So verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease. I'm just going to call him Neb because it took way too long to type it out. So I, Neb, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. And I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So God sees past all his comforts, all his possessions, everything he has that makes him feel safe. God sees past it and sees his heart, and he gets his attention. And so Nebuchadnezzar is afraid. He's freaking out. He's trembling. His heart's beating real fast, I'm sure. And so he decrees that all wise men, all magicians, everybody who he thought could help him interpret this dream, 
to come and help him figure out what's going on here. But none of them are able to. And so as a last resort, it says, finally, Daniel comes in. And I bet you he called upon Daniel last because he knew that this dream was from God. He knew that this dream meant something deeply important to him, but he just didn't want to accept it. And just as a side note, how often do we do this? How often do we know that God is calling us to something, but we reject it, or we ignore it, or we pretend like it's not him or not that big of a deal? It's just an interesting thing to think about. Not the focus, but interesting side note. So Daniel comes in, and Nebuchadnezzar tells him about the dream. It says this, The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. That's a massive tree. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heaven lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. This tree can be seen from one end of the earth to the other. This tree provides food for every single person it protects. It provides food and shelter for animals, for people. It is doing incredible things, and it is incredibly successful and mighty and, and, and powerful. And obviously we can see that this tree is a representation of Nebuchadnezzar himself. That he is powerful and his empire is powerful, successful. That he is wealthy, that he is strong. It looks that way. And that he is also doing good things. He's providing food for people. He's giving shelter to people. That's that's what Daniel says in, in verses 20 to 22. He says, this is you, Nebuchadnezzar, this tree. So after we read this, this tree and we read about it and what it does, this verse comes in. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, an angelic watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. His kingdom, his power, his greatness chopped down and stripped away from him. And then not only that, but let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. And let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. So he's going to lose his earthly greatness, his kingdom, his, his majesty, his success, his power, his influence. And then he's going to lose what actually makes him a man. He's going to lose his mind. He's going to lose his heart, his humanity. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? We see, we just saw that this tree is providing for people and it's doing good work and it's, it's, it's caring for the, for the people around it. So why is this happening It's happening because Nebuchadnezzar's heart behind these things wasn't right. And that Nebuchadnezzar's heart was full of pride. He had success over people. He was helping others. He had everything that the culture wanted. He was doing good. But it was all about himself. 
he started to think that he was the greatest. He started to think that he was the most important part of life, that he had no flaws, that he was some, some next level type of person. He put himself to that category. That's the problem, and that's why these things are getting cut away. And this is the challenge for all of us, is that even though we might not have success, we might not have lots of money, and we might, but pride is, is a danger for all of us. Because it's in the little things, and we're all capable of living in it. And we're actually in a culture that encourages it. This holiday season, I was uh, in Christmas, I was, why did I say this holiday season? Christmas. <laughs> I was walking around the mall, and I was shopping, and I see this sign outside of like, I don't know, a girl's perfume or something like that store. And it said this. This is what the sign said. This holiday season is about you. I was like, wow, that's nice. I'm honored. It's not about Jesus, not about others. It's about me. That's awesome. I didn't even know. Since when? You know? And that's the culture we live in. Psychologists actually say that we are in a narcissism epidemic. Like, not even just, like, every, with COVID going on, like a pandemic. We are in a narcissism and a pride epidemic. Pride is, is a narcissism is someone with an inflated sense of self. So think about Nebuchadnezzar here, an inflated sense of self. It means that we live for ourselves, that we live to gain respect, honor, praise for ourselves, and that we are only focused on ourselves more than anything else. That we are the most important part of our lives. And like I said, it's not just when you have success or when you have power. It can look like the day-to-day. It can look like just thinking about ourselves all the time. Our looks, our abilities, our achievements, our successes, our, our greatness, how we compare ourselves to others. It can look like doing things for ourselves and looking out for our needs more than anybody else's all the time. And I do this. I, I have to catch myself. I think about myself and I think about what are others thinking of me. I want them to think well of me and I want to be great in their eyes. And I'm just thinking about me, 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 me all the time. Pride attempts to exalt oneself. And whether we mean to or not, it actually at the same time belittles everyone else and God, which we will get to in a minute and we will see. And if we think that we don't struggle with pride, you probably do. <laughs> I definitely do. Pride also ignores our flaws and our shortcomings, the things that make us human, the things that show us that we're actually not perfect. So a fun fact about me, I am physically incapable of doing handiwork around the house. I once spent 15 minutes trying to screw a handle onto our gate at home, and I couldn't do it. And my dad comes in 30 seconds flat, done. I felt like such a fool. But if I ignored that shortcoming of mine, it would lead to me probably like putting a hammer in my leg or something like that. Like it, it would lead to me getting injured. But we live in a culture where we're, where we're told that we're so great, so important, so capable of all things. And we are great. We are important. We are capable to do good things, of course. But we're not recognizing that we have flaws. We're not recognizing that we have shortcomings. We're not recognizing that we make mistakes, that we can hurt people. We have the capacity to hurt people. Will Storr, a uh, journalist and a commentator, says this, The toxic lie that our culture gives us is that we can be anyone we want and do anything we want, but that's never been true. We live in a culture where we are told we're so great, 
and so important, so capable. But we actually make mistakes and we're actually flawed. And if we ignore our shortcomings, we naturally tend to believe, like Nebuchadnezzar, that we are the center of the universe, that we are the most important. We have this inflated sense of self. As we see in a minute, this leads to our downfall. So we are all capable of living in pride. Let's circle back to Nebuchadnezzar. I think I'm a couple slides behind. Let me just catch up to myself. Here we go. So God, in response to Nebuchadnezzar's pride, takes away his kingdom and takes away his humanity. And this is the reason for it. In order that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. And I don't really touch on this, but this is a very interesting thing that God sets over and he exalts the lowliest of men. Very interesting. But the main point here that I want to focus on is that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of man. God is essentially doing these things, taking away Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, his humanity, to say to him, you need to know that I am God and you are not. This was the most important thing for Nebuchadnezzar and the living, you and me. This is the most important thing for us to know. But why is it so important? Why is, it, why is pride so wrong in God's eyes? In order to understand why pride is wrong, we first need to understand who God is. Exodus 3.14, God gives us his definition of himself, his name. And he says this, just mind-blowing words. I am who I am. I am who I am. This means more than I could describe, but in my very limited understanding, it means that God has always existed. He always will. He just is. He is perfectly good, perfectly true. He just is. That he cannot be improved upon. That he is the utmost beauty, the only perfection in the universe. God is. I am who I am. God is the center, the meaning, the focus, the giver of life. And all life is dependent on him. Therefore, all life is dependent on him. Everything is meant to and designed to live under his rule, under depending on him, living under his perfectly true and good ways, living for him. As humans, we need to eat food and drink water. These things are objectively true and good and necessary for our life. We've been made to follow this way of life, and we don't hesitate to think whether or not these things are necessary for our life. It's just a fact that we are dependent on them. And we need to think the same way with God. And we don't. We so often don't. And our culture doesn't. God and his ways are objectively true and good and necessary for our life. We have been made to follow his way of life. We shouldn't hesitate to think whether these things are good and necessary for us or not. It's just a fact that we are dependent on him and that we need him. The same way and more than we need food and water, we need God. That's who God is. But pride says otherwise. 
Pride puts ourselves in God's place. It exalts ourself, gives us an inflated sense of self when we were created and designed to live depending on him. Pride puts ourselves in God's place when we were created to be dependent on him. And we see this in Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 28 and 29, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. And the king said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty, the pinnacle of Nebuchadnezzar's pride, I, my mighty power, for the glory of my majesty. He's exalting himself to God's place. And he's using words that we would describe God with for himself. And we do the same. Ever since Adam and Eve, ever since Genesis 3, we've chosen to put ourselves in God's place. We've chosen to trust ourselves and be dependent and try to be dependent on nobody else but ourselves. We decide to reject the fact that he is God, the fact that we are dependent on him. And we reject it. And that is what pride is. And we're the same as Neb. I'm the same as Nebuchadnezzar. I constantly think, look at what I've done. Look at this great sermon I've written. Look at those incredible drum beats I was doing. It's just me, me, me. And I'm trying to exalt myself. And it's wrong. We put ourselves in God's place. We do this in the small things Day to day. We do this when we think about ourselves, when we look out for our needs above others all the time, when we compare ourselves to others and think that we're better than them. We're making ourselves the most important part of life, rejecting the fact that we need God. I know this sounds really, really just kind of sad and and depressing, but it's not. Just stay with me. And it's going to get a whole lot better in a couple minutes. I just wanted, pride is so important. And God did these things to Nebuchadnezzar to show him, you need to know, I need to know that I am not God and that God is God, that we are dependent on him. We need to know this. And it's humbling. It's humbling to think about. So as I said, exalting ourselves, an inflated sense of self, actually leads to downfall. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. Kingdom lost, humanity lost, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. Could you imagine that having to, that would just be weird. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So Nebuchadnezzar exalts himself. He makes himself the center, the focus, the meaning of life, and he loses everything. And it's the same today. Pride leads to our downfall. And our ultimate downfall is separation from God, now and forever. And that's what pride leads to. Separation from the God that we depend on, that we need, the God that is perfectly good and loving and true. We separate ourselves from him. 
C.S. Lewis says this, The essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And we likely won't be driven to live like an ox in a field and eat grass. But when we stand in God's place, when we exalt ourselves to his position and reject him and reject our dependence on him, we are leading ourselves to our downfall. The downfall being bound to our sin, bound to our pride, and we are destined for an eternity away from the God that we rely on. We are destined to hell. We are destined to separation now. It is that serious. Pride is the utmost evil. This is the so what of this whole message. So what about pride? Our culture brings about pride like it's a good thing. Oh, he should get the credit. He should get the praise for what he's done. She should. She's done amazing things. She should be honored. And to a point, yes, but not to the point that we live in. We should never be exalting ourselves to God's position, to God's place. We are imperfect. I am imperfect, broken. Who am I to say that I am, I am not dependent on anything, on anyone? I have been made by the Creator. I've been made in His image. My reason and my mind and my heart, like we see in Neb, that is what makes me a person. I have been made in God's image. And in pride, when we exalt ourselves to God's image, we're losing what makes us human. We're losing our humanity. We're losing the image that we've been created in, our identity. Pride is the highest treason against the creator of the universe. And this is the part where we need to ask ourselves, are we living in pride? Are we living in pride? Are we subtly thinking that, the most, that we are the most important part of our lives? That we're better than others? And that we don't need God? Because I live in pride. I've sinned. I have sinned. And I've committed high treason against the God who created me. And my sin deserves a consequence. Because God is just, when we make mistakes, that's what justice is. We need a consequence especially when it's against the perfect God who never sins, never makes mistakes. And the consequence is an eternity away from God. And I can't do anything to change it by myself. We can't do anything to change it. We can't save ourselves or free ourselves from this consequence. We have been prideful. And we do live in pride now. And I live in pride now. And we can't do anything about it. So what now? Luke, you've been really just, you've slapped me in the face this morning. It's been really depressing. I need some good news. And here is the good news. Thank you for sticking around with me for so long. I've really, I, there's nothing better than talking about who God is and who we are in his place. And it is a humbling, humbling experience. So let's get to the good news. But God but God, in his incredible grace and in his loyal, steadfast love for his children, for you and for me, makes a way for our sin to be forgiven, our pride to be dealt with, and our consequence to be paid. 
He wants to save us from our pride. That's why he says to Neb that you may know that you are God and I am, that I am God and you are not. It's the most important thing. And God could just leave us there. He could just leave us in our sin, in our pride, and leave us in our consequences. But because of his rich mercy and his great love with which he loved us, he saves us. He saves us. How does he save us? Well, God came down as a man and lived a perfect life, the life that we could not live. He served others. He loved his enemies. He depended on God completely. He lived humbly. And then he took on to himself the consequence and the punishment for our sins by dying on the cross the death we deserved. And then he rose from the grave, overcoming death and freeing us from our sin, our pride, our consequences, and restores us back to a relationship with the God that we have been created by. We get to live our life the way we were made to live our life. Jesus frees us and forgives us from our sin and restores us back to where we were created to be. Even though we reject him, even though we put ourselves in his place and we inflate our sense of self, even though we didn't do anything to deserve his forgiveness, God saves us from ourselves, from pride, from sin, from the devil, from hell. He saves us and restores us back to himself. Incredible love and grace. The good news of this sermon, the good news of our lives. For Nebuchadnezzar, God gave him a literal humbling experience. I would not want to be, I would not want to lose my mind, my heart, live like an ox in a field. But more than that, I would not want to be separated from God forever. And yet God gives us a humbling experience by humbling us with his own love through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we can be free from the trap of pride. And we can live how we've been designed to live, depending on God. This is good news. And this is how we thrive in our culture. Our culture which exalts ourselves, which exalts others, which puts people on a pedestal way above where they deserve to be, way above where I deserve to be. We ignore our flaws and our shortcomings and our mistakes and we claim that we don't need anybody. We don't need anything, that we are reliant on ourselves and ourselves alone. In this kind of culture, we thrive by rejecting that and we thrive by accepting the forgiveness of God, humbling ourselves before him and living for him. The first thing we do to thrive is simply ask for forgiveness for our sin and for our pride. Believe in Jesus, that he came, that he died and rose again to take our sin and our consequence away and ask for forgiveness for our sin and pride. It is that simple. And that is the first step to thriving in this culture, rejecting pride and accepting humility and depending on God. And then, The second thing, and there's two main things within this, is to live differently. We live humbly before God, and we live humbly before others. So living humbly before God 
instead of living for ourselves and our needs like we're the most important, we now remember who he is and who we are in relation to him. We remember that he is God, that we are dependent on him, that his ways are perfect, that we have been created by him, that only he is worthy of praise and honor, that he is the center and the focus and the meaning of life. We remember this. And we don't have to exalt ourselves or make ourselves look great in the sight of others. We live now to exalt God and to exalt his name that he may be seen as great in the sight of others. And we see this incredible transformation in Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the days, I, Neb, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the people of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the people of the earth. And none can say his hand or say to him, what have you done? He does according to his will. It's his kingdom, his dominion. And Nebuchadnezzar blesses and praises God. He redirects the praise that he was given to himself. I, my mighty power for the glory of my majesty. He redirects it from himself and goes, no, God, you. I praise and honor and exalt you and you alone for you deserve it. That is living humbly. And in our day-to-day, it can look like, uh, for example, my, my fiancé, Rachel, she, whenever I tell her that I'm thankful for her, or that I'm thankful for who she is and how she helps me, she never takes credit. It's annoying, but it is beautiful. She always defers it to the Lord and says that it's God in her and through her. That's living humbly. It's not taking the praise for ourselves. And as Shane Baxter said in, in, in 21 Days of Prayer a couple weeks ago, When somebody gives us a compliment, instead of puffing ourselves up and this inflated sense of self and our our pride, we then go, God, thank you. Praise you that I was able to do this. Praise you. Honor to you. We exalt you. For you are good. For you are glorious. And we are broken. And we are dependent on you. So we take the honor and we give it to God. And we do this every day, really practical, by reading his word and the Holy Spirit showing us who God is. We do this by daily remembering what he's done for us in Jesus. The humbling, humbling love of God shown to us in Jesus. And we pray for help from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, so often I forget him and we forget him as Christians. But he's there to help. He's there as a floodlight to point to Jesus. He's there to comfort. He's there to convict the world of sin. He speaks to us and he uses us and he helps us. It's so important to remember that we will not be able to live humbly before God without the Holy Spirit in us. We need him. And secondly, the second point, we live humbly before others. We live humbly before others. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 11 to 12, But the greatest of you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. 
So what does this look like? Well, it looks like living like Jesus did. We put others' needs before our own. We love and care for the people in our community who need love and care the most. We pray for our enemies. We pray for the people who frustrate us. We pray for the people that we think that we are better than. We go, no, God loves you, and I'm going to consider you better than myself. As it says in Philippians 2, 3, we consider others as greater than ourselves. We remember that they have been created in the image of God and that they are loved by God. Whether they know Jesus and believe in him or not, we think of them as better than ourselves. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us do this. The amount of times I, when I'm at work and I work at Starbucks, when I see people that are in need or I see people that have everything that they could ever want, I need the Holy Spirit to remind me that everybody has been created in the image of God, that everybody is loved by Him, and that I need to consider myself as less than them. And I want to serve them. And I don't all the time. But when I do, it is the most freeing and beautiful and humbling experience when we consider ourselves as, as less than others. So, to summarize, we live in a post-Christian culture that exalts self, that encourages pride, and that tells us that we are the most important. This holiday season is about you. That's the culture we live in. So how do we escape this? How do we escape the trap of pride and the downfall that pride brings us to? Well, we turn away from pride by asking God for forgiveness for our sins through Jesus Christ. We believe in him. And then we live humbly before God. We live humbly before God, choosing to exalt him instead of ourselves. For he alone deserves the praise, the honor, the glory. And we live humbly before others. We choose to put others first instead of ourselves. It's not a bad thing to think about ourselves and to do things for ourselves. But our focus and our heart should be to lift others up. And to not think about ourselves all the time, but think about God. Think about others. To care for the people around us to live humbly before God and before others. And so now as I finish, I just wanted to share two scriptures that are really just, they sum up this message and they sum up who, who God is and, and what we are called to and how we are supposed to live. Nebuchadnezzar says this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol And honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right, his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. And then James 4 10 Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much just for. God, I thank you for your humbling love. Lord, I thank you that though we were dead in our sins, dead in our pride, that we deserve the consequence of putting ourselves in your place, that though we deserved it, 
you and your love and your mercy save us from the very thing that leads to our destruction. You save us. You save us through Jesus Christ and you help us live now in humility, rejecting pride by the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And so, God, would we be attentive to you this week? Holy Spirit, would we listen to you? Would we ask for opportunities to humble ourselves? Would we, would we ask you to use us, that we could lift others up, that we could give you praise, and that when we start to think about ourselves and start to think and try to exalt ourselves, that we wouldn't condemn ourselves, God, but that we would just direct the praise to you. Lord, that we would lift you up, for you alone are worthy. And we know that when we live in humility, whether in this life or the next, we will be exalted, because we get to be with you. God, would you humble us? Would you humble me? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Well, it's been so much, well, I've had a lot of fun. I hope you've had too. I could see how it could sound pretty depressing for the most of that sermon, but it's just incredibly humbling. It's such good news that God loves us, that God cares for us, and he wants to free us from the thing that, that just leads to our downfall, that we can be restored to Jesus. It's amazing. So would you guys be blessed this week? I pray that you'd be listening to the Holy Spirit, that he'd be speaking to you and using you as I know that he is, and that you'd be encouraged and you'd feel so loved by the King of Kings. And if this morning you didn't believe in Jesus and you didn't know him, please reach out to us if you have any questions or you want to give your life to him and ask for forgiveness. Please reach out. I think there might be a little prayer button or just email the church or call the church or find somebody you know who is a Christian and just believe in Jesus. Find freedom in humbling ourselves before the God that we were created to be with. Be blessed this week.